morning to each of you. So Nate already referenced it, and those of you that are here regularly know that I'm going through the book of Philippians and about at the halfway point. Um, but I've been amazed in listening to Brandon and Nate um, how similar, I guess, what was on my mind um, has been to, kind of, to what they're thinking. And so all that to say, I'm going to take a break from the book of Philippians just for today. And I've been thinking about um, a little bit down the lines of, of looking ahead at the, at the year ahead and also looking back um, and just, um, just looking ahead and what is it that God wants from us. And so I would be curious if, um, if I would just take a little poll here. Who all around New Year's likes to do goals and resolutions and you find that energizing and um, planning and just like, yes, you know what, Let, let's do that. That is fun. That would give us clarity and intentionality for the year and I'm all in. And I'd be curious here who says, you know what, that really never works. That is such a waste of time. I want to just go and live it one day at a time and see what God brings along, and that is going to be my approach to the year. I'm not judging either one, but I'd be curious who would fall a little bit more in, in camp one in planning ahead. Do you brave raising your hands? Okay, I'm there. All right, so I guess the rest uh, would fall more in the camp of uh, let's take it a day at a time and let's see what happens. Is that a little bit more where, where the rest of the folks are at? A little more? What if I told you today that I'm going to tell you over the next 30 minutes what God's will is for your life in 2020? How would you feel? And I am going to make a statement that I'm going to tell you what God's will is for your life in the next year over the next 30 minutes. Part of the reason that you're feeling uncomfortable is because when we talk about God's will, we may mean the plans that God has for us individually or the doors that he opens up. So that's one way of talking about the will of God. What is it specifically that God wants me to do? The other way of talking about God's will is just what does God desire? What does God want for us? And so that's why I say with confidence that we're going to talk about God's will for us. So um, I'm going to go out on a limb and entitle this God's will for you. And what, what caught my attention in reading this, and, and please hear me carefully on this, I noticed in the New Testament there are three places that God specifically says, for this is God's will for you. And so that's what I want to look at this morning, those three, those three times that God's make, God makes that statement. And please understand, I'm not elevating these verses above any other part of Scripture, and anything that God reveals to us in Scripture is His will. But he does three times. He makes the statement, this is God's will for you. And so um, that's what I'd like to look at today is those three times. And I'm just going to go in the order that they are given to us in the New Testament. And some of them are not things that I would have chosen necessarily to talk about, but I uh, want to look at them. So the first two are in 1 Thessalonians, and then the other one is in the book of Peter. So if you would flip to 1 Thessalonians 4, and I want to look at Again, three things that God says is his will for us in 2020 and actually the rest of our life. So, so 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I'm going to read the first eight verses, not going to read it in one section, but just start reading and go through it a bit, um, a verse or two at a time. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. So I just want to stop here. 
he's, um, he's saying that he wants to know, he, he wants us to know how we are to walk. And the idea is to please God in every way. And then he's saying, you're, you're already doing this, but grow in this more and more. And I was thinking about um, the song, Higher Ground. Mary had uh, mentioned that, catching her attention, that we are to grow, um, to grow in this concept more and more. The one verse that I always go to that explains this um, for me is, is in Hebrews 10, where God makes the statement that by a single offering, he has made perfect those who are being sanctified. So our standing with Christ is perfect, but yet we're, we're growing more and more in that um, sanctification. Then he goes on to verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. And sanctification is it's a big word that just simply means, has the idea of being, being pure or purified or of being set apart for God. And so God is saying very clearly that his will for me and for each of us is our sanctification is to become more and more like him. God is at work in us, and we're simply responding um, to him. So that is, that's the first thing I want us to notice. Now, he goes on and he addresses a specific area um, that he wants this sanctification to come out. But this, I think, is obviously over, it's overall principle that God, God's will is our sanctification in every area. So then I want to just, um, the rest of that verse um, says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So he, he clearly says that God's will is our sanctification, and then he goes on to say specifically in the area of sexual immorality. And if you look at the word of what he's talking about there, it's, it's any type of sexual immorality that is outside of what God, what God designed. So we are to abstain from any of that. And then he goes on, and verses 4 and 5, are, they're really contrasting. Here's what a believer looks like in this area, and here's what an unbeliever looks like, or how, how a believer and unbeliever lives. So for the believer, that each one of you know how to control, or there's the idea of self-control, his own body, in holiness. And somebody pointed out that the holiness... Um, it relates to everything, but it has to do with our relationship um, with God and then with honor, obviously our relationship with others and how, how it plays out in that area. And then in verse 5, he says how, how the Gentiles live. It's just, it's in the passion of their lust because they do not know God. And so the big difference here is, do we know God or not? And if we do, we will be sanctified and specifically in, in this area of sexual immorality. Then he goes on, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. So he's saying don't transgress um, and don't wrong. And the word wrong has the idea of defrauding or actually of going beyond what God has set up. And so that's what, that is what's being addressed. So they've warned, he's warned them, solemnly warned them, and he says that God is an avenger all these things. And then in verse 7, God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness. So God has called believers to holiness. What we'll see in culture and unbelievers all around us is impurity. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. 
And I can't think of a more stern warning to attach with this, that if we disregard God's teaching, we're actually disregarding God who gives his Holy Spirit. I want to uh, just also look at 1 Corinthians 6 to expand on this a little bit. Here he says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin as a, a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So again, he's bringing in the idea that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, or bringing the Holy Spirit into this. And then he is saying we are to glorify God in our body and live in a self-controlled way. And so he's obviously talking about certain types of sin here. But for a believer, um, the, the power of self-control in every habit, whether it's eating or sleep, you know, anything, keep go through that. Um, but God is saying that he wants us to live in a holy um, way. So the first, again, the first thing that is God's will is our sanctification and specifically talking in the area of, of sexual immorality. So obviously, culture, all around us, we see um, how unbelievers live, and, and it can feel like um, sexual immorality is, the idea is bombarded, um, and feels like almost every way and everywhere you go. And that lifestyle is promoted, whether it's um, what you see, what you hear, what you read. Um, and as you look at it, you know, obviously one of the things that has changed is just um, with the internet and, the, and phones, just how much this stuff can be promoted all over the place. And so I want to give you just a little bit of stats, but I want to be careful because I'm not here to try to persuade you that this is a big attack of the enemy. We all know that it is. Um, so you, if you start researching it, you can end up with all kinds of stats. Um, but what I went with was what Barna and Covenant Eyes talked about. So one of the warnings is that at this point, there are over 40 million pornographic websites, just over 40 million of them out there. 11 years old is the average age that a child will be exposed to this material. So in culture, 11 years old is the average age. What is scary is that by 14, the percentage hits 94% of kids will be exposed to this material at some point. And so what I'm saying is that as a church, let's be extremely vigilant. We don't need to live in fear, um, but it is a real issue. Isolating the um, pornography, and again, I'm not saying this is true here. In fact, I trust it's not. Um, but from the Barna group, they say that over 60% of church-going men have or are struggling with pornography and 25% of married women. But again, I'm not trying to say that this is such a huge battle, but the, all of these battles literally come down to one-on-one, -on -one, and it can feel like there's this ginormous force of temptation being fought by one person. And so what I'm saying is that as a church, um, let's not fight this battle alone. If you are struggling in this area, um, talk to somebody and invite another believer into the battle with you. Um, and when it comes to this area of sanctification, let's go after purity. And let's not do that alone. Um, and as I look back on my life, prior to being married, one of the things I regret is not inviting other guys into this type of a battle. And, and so let's, um, let's not fight this alone. Um, 
Another area that I just want to mention because it is so prevalent and because it's in the news so much is the area of sexual abuse. And again, you know, the stats can be all over the map, but pretty much everybody will agree that somewhere around one in four to one in seven women will have dealt with sexual abuse. And for men, it can be one in 20, one in 25 again. Part of what makes this so hard is how do you define it? But worse than that, most of the people that go through that don't feel free to talk about it. And so again, I'm not trying to focus in on the problem being so big as just saying, it's, this is a, again, it comes down to a one-on-one -on -one issue. And as a church, let's be very vigilant in every area, um, in every way on these issues. And let's, let's look out for each other on it. And it's a much bigger topic than I will ever, ever talk about today. But if you have been abused, please know that you have been sinned against. You did not sin, probably. And that is one of the things that can get twisted in all of this, is that you were sinned against, and it's not necessarily because you sinned. So when God talks about our sanctification, um, one of the things I want to go back to is in, in Matthew 5, he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And I know we all want to see God. So let's live pure, help each other live pure so that we can see God and experience God at work. So God's will for you is uh, your sanctification, and then specifically talking about the area of sexual purity. All right, let's go on to 1 Thessalonians 5, um, to the next topic. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Now here, is, here are the verses I want to highlight. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And he goes on and continues to, to give commands. And I don't know, and in pointing all this out, I had to wonder, why does God you know, say this is, this is his will for us when all of the passage is? But yet he, he clarifies that. And I don't know, is he when he makes a statement, this is God's will, is he talking about all the way back up to verse 12? Is he talking about 16, 17, and 18? Probably. Um, but I want to focus in on giving thanks in all circumstances. And, you know, in studying for this, as I look at this, the verse about giving thanks in all circumstances, what I want to preach is to tell you that it means to give thanks in all circumstances and not for every circumstance. That's what I want to say. And that's what I was planning to say. But then if you flip over to Ephesians 5, verse 20, it actually tells us to give thanks always and for all things. And I will tell you that I have a very hard time with that and find myself living, not living that out very well. The other thing that I have to confess as I look at this is that I don't think I've given this command the weight that God does, that it is literally a command. And he literally says, this is my will for you. I, I want you as a follower of mine to give thanks, in this case, in all circumstances, and even that's hard. 
And as I think about it, um, I think that you know when it, when he talks about giving thanks, it is both our attitude, our internal attitude of gratitude, but it's also our actions of giving thanks. Um, if you know if our, if my children got done eating dinner every night and they would just take their dishes over and they would never thank Nicole and and don't worry Ashton and Kaden you do thank mom thank you <laughs> they were both looking at me like <laughs> but if they never thanked her and then and I would ask them and they would just say you know what I don't have to thank mom because I just I I am thankful inside but I don't need to express it you know I would say no that's not how it works I think. When it comes to giving thanks, it's both an attitude and an action, and let's um, let's keep that in mind. One of the things that I need to keep in mind is that there is a difference between my attitude and my feelings, and so I can have this attitude even if my feelings are not not there. So he's talking about this is God's will for you, and he says it's God's will in Christ Jesus, and I find a lot of hope in that because. The only way to live this out is if I am in Christ. And if, if we are in Christ, if we're seated in Christ, then the thanksgiving can flow, can flow out of that. I'm not going to do that on my own. The other thing that I noticed in looking at this, if, if I am to rejoice always, and if I am to give thanks in all circumstances, the only hope I see for me is that it has to happen through prayer. If, if those two commands are there, and they are, then that happens through prayer. And so as we live that out, um, for me, I think prayer is, is a huge key in that. If I listen to myself talk, what I believe about God does come out in the way I talk about situations. Um, just a couple of other verses related to this. Um, and again, I mean, this is tying both of the things we looked at together, but specifically thinking about Thanksgiving. But sexual immorality and all purity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. So this is not who believers are, but thanksgiving defines a believer. In Colossians 2, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And so if I'm going to grow into giving thanks in all circumstances, it will only happen as I put roots down in Christ and grow in him. I'm going to share a picture of myself from when I was about Caden's age. I showed it to Nicole this morning and she said, apparently you are throwing all pride to the wind today. And I said, yes, that's true. Um, so anyway, here goes. Alfie took this picture of me, and I need to thank him or blame him for this. So the background on this, um, I don't know when it was exactly in school, but it, there was a snow day. And I don't even remember the details, but we wanted to have a snowball fight for break, or either we did and we weren't allowed to have the rules the way we wanted. There was some conflict between what the boys wanted and the girls wanted and snowball fights. And the teacher sided with the girls. And I came home from school, and I was, I was mad, and I was grouchy, and I would not let it go. And this lasted, I don't know, for several hours, and I had a little camera there, and Alfie, I, I don't know if you remember this or not, he grabbed my little camera, and he started taking pictures of me in our room. Just, he was like, you know, I want you to see how you look and how you're acting, and I want to, you know, so that you can see this down the road. And so... Um, 
there I am, as grouchy as can be. And anyway, this picture has kind of amused or haunted me or whatever. But when I think about the lack of thankfulness, okay, and so when I look back on this, how ridiculous. Like, seriously, I'm going to spend a whole evening, and I think I was making statements about this being one of the worst days of my life. And, you know, I was going to spend one whole evening grouchy about this snowball fight. And in the big picture of things, I don't even remember the details anymore. But when I, I think when I look at my life over the last little bit and the lack of gratefulness, I think when I scan back and look at it in light of eternity, it will seem probably this ridiculous, if not more, when I stop and look at my life and the circumstances that I thought were too hard to thank God in. So anyway, if this, uh, this can be a little parenting tip for any parents that want to take pictures of their children and bring them back in 20 years. I will gladly go to the next slide and the next topic. Um, Okay, so the second area of God's will, the first is our sanctification. The second is that God wants us to give thanks in all circumstances. 1 Peter 2 is the third place that he tells us what his will for us is. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So we're asked to keep our conduct pure, and he says when, when they speak against us. So it's not a matter of if, it's, this will happen, that they will speak against believers and actually call us as, as evildoers. And how hard is that when we are obeying God and get spoken of that we are the ones um, in the wrong and acting as evildoers? And that, you know, that's shifting and happening in culture some. I don't ex- understand all of this, but eventually God says they will see our good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So let's keep that in mind and keep going with, with the instruction. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. So we're told to be subject or to come under um, every human institution. And he doesn't just say some, but every human institution or every authority we are to come under. Um, and I just I, w- I want to just point out Romans 13.1 and understanding this concept of obeying leaders and those in authority. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So God is saying that he puts rulers in place, and they're only there because God delegates authority to them. And this was written at a time when the church was being persecuted, and Nero was in power, and God is making these statements. Now he goes on, and this is what what he says is his will for us. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So if you were putting together a game plan for how to relate to to leaders that are opposed to Christianity, cultures that's opposed to Christianity, what would you say needs to happen? I don't think I would have necessarily chosen this or thought of this. God says, my will for you is live in subjection to the leaders. And by doing good is how you're actually silencing the ignorance of foolish people. 
And the word silence, um, it literally just means to put a muzzle on. Have you all seen a muzzle that goes on it goes on a dog or different animals? It just literally makes so you can't open, can't open your mouth. So God is saying that as believers, when we live um, in obedience to him and perform good works to him, not to be seen by others, that somehow that is what God uses to actually silence those in opposition. When unbelievers see the change in our heart and the good works, somehow God is using that to, to put a stop to that or to silence that. He goes on to say, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as a servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. And so our, you know, the good deeds mean a lot of other things, but specifically here, it's how we treat other people. We're supposed to honor everybody, to put a high value on them, to love the brotherhood, fear God, and then he says to honor the emperor. And again, this is not somebody who is kind to Christians. And it's the same word. We're to honor everybody. We're to honor the emperor. Um, so we're called to honor all people, but then certain positions we're to relate differently because of the authority that God has given them. So I want to just point out also in verse 13, the reason we're doing all of this is for the Lord's sake. It's not because of the people that God has, has put into government and authority, but for God's sake, when we come under them and do good deeds, he uses that um, in a mighty way. So if you are in Christ, your life is a powerful argument for the gospel of Christ. And if you serve God living under earthly leadership, your life will have an impact on the kingdom of God. So I have to ask myself, or am I living under authority in this kind of way? Is there any area that I'm not? And I would be curious, if you look around at what's happening in culture, do you ever feel like, what can I do to stand against the, what feels like a tidal wave against Christians in culture? Does anybody ever feel like that? What, what can I actually do? And God's, I just want us to take courage in this, that God's, um, God's answer is that as we live obediently, and those are the good works, somehow he actually uses that to silence those that speak against Christianity. And the same people that attack us, at some point, they will, um, like it said earlier in verse 12, they will give glory to God. And I don't know, does that mean at the second coming, how that will look when they come to the Lord? I don't know what all that means. But I want to just encourage you that as you go about your daily life, we're involved in all kinds of different things. When you do good because you love Jesus, God actually uses that to impact those who are opposed to him. So, John, while you're teaching school, Brian, while you're at the fire station, if you're out farming, if you're running an Airbnb, if you're at home, if you are, you name it. Ladies, every time you walk out of the house with a veiling on, Anything we do out of obedience, somehow God is using that to actually fight against um, those that are opposing him and his kingdom. All right, so in summary, the three things that God says is his will for me is, number one, my sanctification. Number two, that I give thanks in every and all circumstances. And number two, or number three, that somehow by doing good, God can put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And if we live these things out of obedience, we can know that we are living, living the will of God. 
this year. Hebrews 13 tells us this in conclusion. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And so that's the prayer for this morning, that God would equip you to do, um, to do his will. In closing, um, I would like you to stand. And uh, what we're going to do, rather than, than just me praying or somebody praying, I'd like you to get um, men, if you could find one or two other men, just kind of form a little huddle. Ladies, if you could find uh, one or two other ladies. And um, we are going to close by thanking God for something. And you can thank God for anything. And it is just a way of living out the second thing I pointed out of God asking us to give thanks um, in every circumstance. So go ahead and get connected with one or two other people. um, And then as soon as you're done praying, you can consider yourselves dismissed.